Loving, loving Sairam, Brother Girish Chandayal. The Sri Satyasai Global Council West Indies lovingly welcomes you to the series A Week, Unite and Inspire. We are really honored, privileged, and happy to have you as the guest on our program this evening. So, Brother Girish, before we start, can we begin with some chanting of slokas from your side? Om Shri Sai Ram. Shri Yuta Murti Vatsalata Chindari Sundara Satya Kirti. Apyayata Rupudalchana Krupavara Sagara Chakravarti. Sushreyamugurchi Bodalu Vachinchi Sukokila Gana Murti. Shri Satya Saisha. This is a prayer song uh, to Swami, uh, invoking Swami's blessings uh, to, to the program and to where we are today. If, if it's okay, I will chant one more. E Swami Mahimache, Ella Nakshatralu, Milamila Mintiai, Meruchunde. A Swami Mahimache e Mahi Chakramu Tejasuto Sada Tiribuchunde. A Swami Mahimache e Jiva Santati Kramamaina Padatin Batukuchunde. A Swami Mahimache illa Satya Shanti Ahimsa Prema Dharmalu Saguchunde. A Mahaswami Mahimache Aikyarat Prapancha Samiti Shanti Samupar Jinchu Satamu. Sarvajana Sukha Sankshema Saukya Pragati. Swami Mahimache Matrame Saguchunde Sairam. So, brother, can you translate a little bit of the last part for us? Absolutely, thank you. So, it says, incidentally, this uh, poem was written by my grandfather. I'll, I'll uh, briefly talk about him as well in, in a while. A Swami Mahimache Yella Nakshatralu Melamela Minti Pai Meruchunde. With which God's grace have all these stars in the sky really shine uh, every night after night. E Swami Mahimache Mahi Chakramu Tejasudosadatrivichunde. With whose grace is this planet, beautiful planet Earth, moves without any uh, any any stop at all? E Swami Mahimache e Jiva Santati Kramamaina Padatun Bhatakuchunde. Every uh, species, if you take has a discipline of its own that it follows and who is really guiding all of the species in the world. Yes, Swami Mahimache ila satya shanti ahimsa prema dharmalu saguchunde. With whose blessing is really all of these uh, truth, nonviolence, peace, uh, love, dharma, the character, all of that we talk about is really falling in place. That Swami is with us. That Swami we have among us today and whose blessings we have got in abundance. And we uh, bow down to you, Swami, uh, who has blessed us abundantly today. Very, very beautiful and very blissful. So, brother, kindly share with us, how did you first come into contact with Sri Satya Sai Baba? Thank you. Uh, I was, uh, I would say, uh, fortunate uh, to be born into Sai family. I did not, uh, to my knowledge, put a lot of effort to know Bhagwan. That was a blessing 
that I was fortunate to receive where my family was already inclined to Bhagwan uh, in the 80s. It's not, uh, Swami uh, wasn't really the household name like it is now even in India. So it took really a lot of effort to know Swami, especially because where Swami was, Prashantraliam, the Puttaparthi was a really a remote village. And uh, that was a task in itself to go to Prashantraliam and to be with Swami, to know Swami uh, and all of that. And I was fortunate to be born into a family who had made that effort to know Bhagwan and to be with Bhagwan and to be his devotees. My grandfather particularly, uh, ours was only a third generation. So my grandfather was the first one in our family to know Swami. He got a calling to go to Swami. He was a teacher uh, down south in Andhra Pradesh. And he got a calling from Swami to go and be. And thereafter, everything just fell in place for us as a family. We naturally connected to Bhagwan. Uh, he uh, went on to pen many books uh, about Swami with the blessings of Swami and Swami asked him to teach in the school. So he became a teacher after he retired as a teacher and came to Swami to enjoy his retirement. He, Swami gave him another task to be the teacher again. Like Swami says, you never retire. You're just retired. You're like a new car, right? You, you tire yourself once again and then you're all good to go all over again. So he was retired and uh, he got a job uh, in Swami's school. So he used to have darshan in the morning and evening. And then in the, in the afternoons, he used to go and teach uh, in the school as well. Um, and particularly about him, uh, if I could mention a few words, brother, uh, he uh, got an opportunity to pen many books, like I said, uh, over a hundred. And one of them, the crest jewel of all of his writings uh, was the biggest blessing that Swami had given him and to all of us as well in the form of the holy book Tapovanam that he, he wrote. And that was completely guided by Bhagwan, many organizations across the world. And I think it was translated to 30 plus languages as a book, though he's written it in Swami's language, the Telugu, the, his mother tongue as well. And it was translated later to 30 plus languages. And this particular book uh, is now called Satcharitra because that's the holy book, that recitation that you could do as a prayer, as a form of worship to Swami uh, from uh, Thursday to Thursday. So it's like a chapter or a chapter book where you could really read uh, day after day a certain number of uh, themes in the, in the book, so to say. And both my uncles particularly also, and my dad, have fully dedicated themselves uh, to Swami's work today. A little bit about my family. My dad leads the devotional wing in the state of Andhra Pradesh at the district level. And uh, my sister and I were just uh, fully fortunate to be born in the Sai fold. I have had uh, interactions with Bhagwan from a young age, even before we knew Swami was God. Uh, I used to tell my sister, I still recall, that we are going to Prashantinalim to see our uncle or aunt. Or, uh, it's like a, a relations uh, that we go and meet every summer, every festival. It's just like one more. But then this relation comes with a little bit difference because he's so popular. He's just not got just us as his family. He's got more people uh, that will uh, come and meet him versus our other uncles and aunts who just have us as guests. But this uh, uncle has more guests. 
So, but that's how we used to be uh, able to see Swami and from then on the learning that the divinity around him and uh, everything that went with, the, with, with all of our lives after that have completely changed to a different uh, life that we have today. And I was also fortunate to be his student uh, for, for a period of uh, 10 years. And that is uh, really the golden period in my life in many ways. Thank you very, very much, brother, for that divine and soulful sharing. Can you share the name of your grandfather, the author of that book, the Tapovanam? Sure. His name is Sri Venkateshwar Shastri. Uh, he's, he goes by a pen name, Shantisri, and that's how he is known uh, at, at, at the literature, in the literature world. Shantisri is what he goes by. Wonderful. So, brother, you spent many years in Prashanti Niliam as a student, and I am positive and sure you've had many wonderful experiences with Mother Sai over the years. Can you share two of your most memorable experiences with Mother Sai? Definitely. Uh, um, I, I spent a considerable amount of time in uh, Prashant Nalayam uh, as a student and also as a devotee of uh, Bhagwan. Uh, so there are many experiences that uh, I have had uh, the good fortune of receiving Bhagwan's blessing. Uh, two, if I were to point out, um, the day I realized the divinity of Bhagwan. Like I said, uh, uh, when you have something so close, something so available to you, you really don't understand the value of it so easily. And this was my divine moment where I had no doubt after this that yes, it is Bhagavan that I must seek in my life. And this is, the, this is the form. This is the divinity that I will really attach myself to. And that all of us have different moments. Some of us have it in our dreams. Some of us have it through a talk. Some of us have it through a book. For some of us, it's just natural. But for someone like me who is so slow and lethargic in this uh, field, I saw me needed to really give me an electric shock uh, to tell me who he is. And that was uh, one such incident I'll share with you. Uh, it's, it's, it's small, but then it's so big for me and life-changing. Uh, in the years that I spent, uh, there was always one thing that boys enjoyed, uh, students enjoyed and also feared at the same time, which is Swami picking on you to do a task. Swami would come every evening uh, for darshan. Uh, I say evening, of course, Swami comes in morning and evening as well. But as students, we uh, would only come in the evenings to see Swami and to have Swami's darshan. So uh, every evening, Swami would uh, have his routine, uh, that is to give darshan to start with, and then pick some devotees for a special interview, for a special meeting inside, and then followed by bhajans, and Swami retires back to his residence. This, this is the regular routine, if nothing special were to happen that day. And sometimes, like Swami, Swami is, uh, he would choose to do it differently. There are guests come by, and there are speakers, and there are sometimes Swami asking a certain student to do something. Uh, and so it was always like considered a privilege when Swami asks someone to do something. Uh, but at the same time, you really got to be a step up and be at Swami's expectation if he asks you to do something. 
I always wanted Swami to call me to do something because not because of the blessings alone, but also you would become very popular among students that Swami is calling on you to do a certain task. So that's what I probably wanted more than the blessings itself. Uh, but um, I wanted Swami to call me, but I never really prepared myself. Uh, what if Swami calls me to dance? Do I even know how to dance? I don't know. And that holds good for all of us in our lives as well. We want Swami to give us so many things, but are we really ready with the ball to receive when he starts to give? Uh, and this was my moment exactly of that. So Swami was sitting uh, there. He was reading uh, many letters that he's already received. I had a letter in my hand too. And I had a you know, good fortune of sitting in the front row. I was pushing my letter as much as I could. So he, I get his attention. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, it, it caught Swami's attention. And uh, Swami did ask me to come to him to uh, give the picture uh, to him. So I will, I, I got the picture here. I'll just quickly show you the picture as soon as I can. And in the, in the meanwhile, uh, while I'm bringing that up, uh, so uh, Swami uh, asked me to uh, come to him to give the picture, to give the letter. And I go to him and start uh, sitting there. So because it's not just the letter, I, what would I, as a young boy of 15, 16 years, really write in the letter to Swami? It's just uh, my, my prayers, and it's not really anything that's that important or anything on those lines. But I would just hand over this letter to Swami, and Swami, I wanted him to read the letter right in front of me. Because, you know, whatever opportunity you could get with Swami, you would want to do. So I am not, at least he's not asking me to go back. So I would sit there and uh, wait for Swami to open my letter and read it. And if he had any doubts in my letter, I, he could ask and I could give. So every opportunity I could take, I was taking at that moment. Little bit, little did I realize at the time that something were to come uh, in, in, in a while, which I am not ready for. Swami let me sit there. He read my letter. He folded the letter back and he put it in his other hand and said, Oi matladu, meaning go and speak. Well, I have never spoken before uh, in front of Swami ever, but then not even in the college or school, I was never considered a speaker. They were already always better students who are extempore, who would always come up and who would want to speak. So I always shied away from the mic. Uh, and uh, Swami said, Oi matladu. I understood clearly what he meant because I speak the same language as well. But I wanted to not understand what he said at this point and sort of act uh, dumb and walk back to my seat because I know I'm going to be in trouble if I actually understand him. So I did not react immediately. I was like, Swami, now you are talking to the wrong person. And was about to leave and Swami again said, Poi Martlad. And by then, even before I prepared myself, somebody else next to Swami heard it. And there was already a podium and a mic arranged just there, as even he was telling me, And Swami seemed serious now, I need to do something. And uh, I wanted to ask Swami, Swami, are you, what should I even speak about? Okay, you gave me the problem, also give me the solution. And Swami closed his eyes and was waiting for something to happen. And I'm still sitting there in front of him, he wouldn't look at me. So it was my turn to do something and people around Swami 
was saying, okay, he already told you what to do, so go from here and start speaking. I went to the mic, stood there for a while. I still couldn't open my mouth or speak. I just looked up. There were like 10,000 people in Kulwant Hall waiting for something important to be said. Well, I'm not the person to say anything important at that point. And Swami was still closing his eyes and seemed to be in a state of bliss. Like I was really saying something very important. Uh, I didn't have anything to say. I wasn't prepared a bit. And my mind went blank too. So I went back to Swami, walking back from the podium again. And said, uh, Swami, and I got Swami's attention this time, even though his eyes were closed. Swami, you wanted me to speak, all right, but what should I really speak about? Like whatever he told me I was ready for. Like you would really ask that question only if you are such a great speaker that any topic Swami gives you, you can really go back and speak. I was none of those, but I still had the courage to ask Swami, okay, what do you want me to speak about? Swami was, uh, looked really serious at me and said, Oi, Mark Lardo. And then I knew my time was up there. I need to really do something. I went back to the podium and started to, started to speak. I said, Om Shri Sairam, I remember that to date. I do not remember what I spoke after that. It just took me a few minutes uh, to gather myself, held the podium really strong, say the words Om Shri Sairam. And I remember closing my eyes in, in prayer or in, in some sort of panic uh, to, to, and, and submission to God. These feelings I remember, and I spoke for 20 minutes after that. I do not remember a word I have said to date. I tried asking many friends, what did I say? People said different things. Nothing seemed like anything I said. All I remember was after 20 minutes, I somehow concluded it. And there was applause for so long. Like I said, really something very interesting. And then I went running back to Swami because I alone knew what happened there. And then that was not the miracle. Swami can do any of these. He can make the dumb speak. He can make the deaf hear. He can make the blind see. That's nothing greatness here. That's not something we are talking about. We all know that. That's why we are in Swami's form. But here is what Swami said after that. When I was crying on his, holding his hand, uh, in, 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 in thanks, in gratitude. And Swami said, When I ask you to speak, you must speak. Then he went on saying, when I give you the problem, I will also give you the solution. I will also give you the courage to solve it. So that is what was a lesson lifelong for me. So every time we have a problem that we go to Swami and say, Swami, I have a problem. Swami says, no, don't come to me saying I have a problem. Instead, go to your problem and tell the problem. Problem, I have my Swami. Try doing whatever you want to do. And that is when Swami would be really impressed. And that was the lesson that I took with me. One, the omnipresence of his that he could do anything he wants to. He could make an idiot like me really speak so eloquently uh, in, a, in a great manner, at the same time giving a lifelong lesson for me 
that when he gives you the problem, he will also give you the courage. He will also give you the strength to face the problem. Sorry if I took too long. Uh, pardon me. No, brother, this was absolutely beautiful, inspiring, and soulful. So that is one experience you have. So you have another one that you can share with us? Sure. Um, this was again in Prashantanalayam. Um, I, I wanted to focus a little bit on Swami's omnipresence. Uh, we all understand. We easily say it now. We are all... Uh, we're all understanding Swami's words, understanding the literature around Swami, but how much do we really understand the intent, the meaning, the depth of what we, we talk about? I was told from uh, childhood that Swami is omnipresent, Swami is omnipotent, Swami is omniscient. He can be anywhere, he is all powerful, he can do anything, which is fine, which is what again we all understand, but what really does that mean? When we say Swami is omniscient, he is everywhere, literally right now here. Is this how I behave if Swami were to really sit in flesh and blood next to me? So for some reason, subconsciously, though I know this is the truth, I do not believe Swami is here. Because I am behaving differently when Swami is here. Versus Swami is, I don't see him, so he is not there. But I am saying Swami is omniscient, proudly, loudly, clearly, but I don't really understand it. So this was a young boy, again, in Prashantinalayam, with this thought, this confusion. Some of you said these three things so easily, but I'm sure nobody, none of your devotees understand it. So you have to do better as God to give us this response, to give us this. So these were my thoughts. I never shared it with Swami. Uh, but then when I was thinking on these lines, it's not that I did any uh, uh, in-depth research on this, but some thoughts whenever I heard of it, and it is still lying somewhere in the back of my head. Uh, on one occasion, I'll just uh, quickly narrate a story. In Prashantinalim, it's a practice that Swami uh, goes to Vrindavan uh, once a year. Uh, these were the days, uh, old, good old days. And Swami would spend the most of the year in Prashantinalim, and as a Prashantinalim Puttaparthi, uh, the main, uh, the central uh, sanctum sanctorum where uh, Puttaparthi is and where Swami's organizations are. And Brindavan is uh, in Bangalore. Uh, it's called Brindavan, the Swami's uh, facility there. And Swami would go there during the peak summer because it's so hot in Puttaparthi that it's much easier for the devotees and uh, everyone to assemble and see Swami. It's just much more pleasant uh, in, in Brindavan. And uh, this was a particular time when Swami was about to leave to Brindavan. Nobody knows Swami's plans, so none of us knew exactly when Swami is leaving, but we all knew it's coming around the corner anytime Swami would leave. It's a great moment for people in Brindavan, students in Brindavan, and the worst time for students in Prashantanalaya because Swami is going to leave. And unfortunately for us, that would also happen to be the time where we are going to have our annual exams. That is when you need really Swami the most. I mean, the norm, the regular time Swami is there or not there doesn't really matter. But during exam, Swami, I really need you. And then Swami is about to leave. So we, like kids, did everything we could. We took our pens, pencils, erasers, sharpeners to Swami. Swami, you are leaving anyway, but bless all these so I can write my exam with this. That's how accessible Swami was. But then one such day, um, Swami was about to leave. The announcement was made. And uh, we were all uh, assembled in Mandir 
on a morning session. I was telling you earlier, we don't usually assemble in the mornings, but since Swami was leaving that day, since that would be a last darshan for a while, uh, the students were asked to come in the morning session as well. And we did come, uh, we assembled in the mandir, Swami's car were to come and was waiting. Swami was in the interview room. Swami had to now come out, get into the car, uh, bid a bye, farewell, and then he would leave. That's the routine. So five, 10 minutes when Swami is outside, you get to see his car. You get to see the inside of the car. Like this little kid, you want to do all this that you don't see every day. So, um, and then uh, everybody assembled, the devotees assembled, the Kulwant Hall was packed because anytime you open up, the devotees come in. Kulwant Hall was packed. Swami came in and the, the bhajans were over. Swami took Arati and that's when he was supposed to get into the car. The car was waiting, door was open. Swami walks back to the residence. He doesn't get into the car. None of us understood why or what. There was a lot of confusion. Is Swami going, not going? We were happy that Swami decided not to go. He went back into his residence. The car slowly closed and went back behind him as well. No announcement was made. None of us knew what happened. Definitely we knew something was not right. Swami went back. Uh, we all assembled, uh, dispersed from Mandir and went back to the hostel. But then we were all having our own theory. Swami isn't well. Swami didn't want the same driver. Maybe Swami wanted a different car. You know, students, you just want to make up your own story somehow to fix the, what's going on. We go back to the hostel. We're just uh, settling down again, back to the routine. And then an announcement was made in the announcement system, the PA system, that uh, Swami would leave in a couple of hours. So we have to go back to the mandir. I was telling myself, Swami, this is ridiculous. First, you made us wake up in the morning. So to be in, in Puttaparthi in the mandir by 6 o'clock, 6.30 or so, you can understand 400 students in one hostel need to assemble, wake up at what time, get ready, and then breakfast. And then all of these, you more probably are day started at 4 to be in mandir by 7. And then Swami just doesn't do what he's promised to do, what he's expected to do. And then he goes back. We don't want to do what we are expected to do, but whenever Swami is not doing what he's expected to do, we really get very upset. Right? So on this day as well, uh, we all went back and the announcement was made that Swami would go back. And I was really angry with Swami. Of course, you can't share with anyone that I was telling myself, Swami, this is not okay. You made all of us come and now you are wanting us to come again. Uh, so anyway, I, I complained to myself. And then I was asking around why this decision, why after two hours, and somebody said it was Rahu Kalam in the morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know, what Rahu Kalam is not the auspicious time. Uh, it's considered in India, uh, in the Hindu, Hindu uh, philosophy, that you do not do anything uh, very important during these hours. And you, you're okay to do any time after that. And apparently during that period that the car was there and Swami were to come, it was that period that was not very auspicious. So Swami decided to postpone. So this, when I came to know, made me even more angry. Now, first of all, Swami, you did not do what was expected of you in the morning. And now you decided two hours later that we all must reassemble. And all for the reason that it's bad time. We chant Swami Kalaya Namaha. Swami meaning Om Shri Sai Kalaya Namaha. You are time. And then say, oh, that we don't stop there. We say, Om Shri Sai Kala Titaya Namaha. Swami, you're beyond time. If Swami, you're time and you're beyond time, 
what bothered you was that there was not so auspicious time, which is why you went back and made all of us reassemble. So I was not taking this. This was absolutely unfair. But all of this again in my little head only. I didn't dare open my mouth to say it to anybody. But then I was just fighting with myself, talking to the Swami within me. And then I soon forgot as soon as the queue started from the hostel, I went back along with every student. This time I really sat in a corner where I could get an opportunity to get a good glimpse of, into the car because I haven't seen inside of the car any time. I have seen Swami so many times. Now I wanted to see the car. So I sat in a place where I could see the car and Swami, the car comes, Swami comes. He was talking to a few ladies and then he's passing by. And then when he came to the car, it was our turn to pray and see. And I forgot all my thoughts. It's just when you see Swami, you're just so happy. And Swami, as he was sitting in the chair of the car chair in the back seat, he nodded in my direction. Not to me, in my direction. But that is enough. You just want that confusion. Whether it's me or not, you go anywhere. And then maybe you get a picture. Maybe you get something Swami would say. So like five, six of us went to Swami. Because none of us knew who. So all of us took the opportunity. And we went to Swami. Swami was sitting. And this is what he said. He said, Rahu Kalam Naku Kadura Niku. He said, the Rahu Kalam, the inauspicious time is not for me. It is for you. We say Bhagwan is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. But what really is that? Is that when you write a letter and put it here in front of Swami's altar that Swami can see? even though you don't show him? Or is it when you share it with somebody that he can hear that conversation because he's everywhere? No, he's even deeper. Even if a thought passes from one membrane to another membrane in your own head, he's there in between, watching your thoughts. That's why he says, watch your words, watch your action, watch your thought, watch your character. Watch your heart and watch your character. So he's watching everything, the omnipotent side, omniscient side. That was a life-changing uh, incident that happened to me where Swami read my mind. That only I knew that I haven't told one more person. That confusion of mine, he clarified, saying, I'm everywhere. Watch out, be careful. That thought we must all carry with ourselves, that he is everywhere with us, especially with us because we have surrendered to him. We have called ourselves his devotees. We are saying, I'm proudly Sai student, Sai devotee. I belong to this organization. I belong to the center, meaning he is with you. Meaning that puts us a big responsibility for us to uh, really be his up to his expectations. Brother, thank you so much. You, you are transporting us back to Prashanti to relive those beautiful divine memories with you. But I want to go back a little bit to your, your talk where Swami instructed you to go and speak. And when Swami told you to go and speak, can you describe a little bit your state of mind? Was there fear? Was there doubt? Was there uncertainty? Because you said you first asked Swami, went to the podium, then you went back to him. Can you describe your inner state at that time and then when you went to the podium, you simply said Om Shri Sairam and it, it was as if Swami took over from there. Walk us through that experience. 
So when I went to Swami, it was all happy. You can actually see in this picture, the previous picture I was sharing, that I was so happy like anyone else uh, would be when you go to Swami. Uh, it was all smiles. I was trying to, as, as best as possible, to understand what Swami was saying, but not, not so much when he asked me to speak. So two things I have learned is with Swami, we have to be ever ready. But my state of mind at that point was black. I had no, actually no lot of poems that my father had taught me of my grandfather's. I, I, in hindsight, I thought I could have simply recited five, six poems would have taken good 10 minutes and then I'm good to go. That would have been very smart of me. That didn't happen. Because it was that moment that Bhagwan wanted to teach you something. There is nothing that could stop him from giving you that opportunity of, of lesson. For a long period of time, until I surrendered, I think this is critical, brother. But I tried to fool around. I went there, thought it's not real. Swami will call me back because he wouldn't want to make me a fool out there. Or it would just not look good on Swami that a Swami student couldn't just speak. He just was uh, being funny there. But that's not what happened. I went back and gave it another try. Okay, Swami probably now will think, okay, go sit. It's okay. You, you're not fit for it. That was my expectation when I went back to Swami second time. But then, no, that was not to be. Swami said, go and speak. So now I knew I'm really in trouble. I really need to step up. My abilities, my skills, my devotion, nothing is enough. I am not measuring up right now. I need to surrender. I know there is, my dad can't help me. My mom can't help me. My teachers can't help me at this point. There is only one person that can help me. That is the one who gave me the problem. So that's when I thought, okay, what am I doing? Do you remember the Gajendra Moksha? Uh, until you surrender. So I then thought, okay, Swami it is. Okay, you put me here, you take care of this. And then I closed my eyes and in prayer. And then the miracle happened. I think sometimes it's just so short that I'm able to explain it as a module. But some of our lives will happen in that going back and forth with Swami. You probably are talking to Swami, expecting Swami to give you something else do I have another option, Swami? You're going back and forth, back and forth. No, stop. Surrender. The solution will come by itself. I think those few minutes I had, I, I from, from being from a monkey mind, I have transformed all the way to a man probably and slightly maybe to an iota of being a good devotee of Swami for a few seconds. Uh, I think that was the transformation that happened in that little a few minutes between the two. Brother, that was very revealing and transforming. And what I'm getting a sense of is when you stood at the podium and said, Om Sri Sairam, I guess there was a surrendering of yourself to Swami to be the instrument to speak through me, talk through me. And then as you said, you spoke and you didn't know what you said. You couldn't Sorry. recall what, what you said. And not even others, but so many people were 
inspired because there was a thunderous applause after your talk. So what a powerful lesson eh, of just surrendering and allowing yourself to be the willing instrument in his hands. Very beautiful. So brother, it leads me to another question. It is reported that Swami once said, the dust of my students' feet will transform the world. What are your thoughts and can you expand on this statement? Sure, brother. I mean, that is so much responsibility on every student. He was being too generous, I would say. I would speak for the student community now. He was being too generous uh, uh, of, of us. But then uh, that is Swami. Right? Like he really gives you the task first and then asks you to measure up for it. It's not other way around. It's not that he gives you a job description and asks you, can you get the skill you need for it and then give you the job? No, he gives you the job first and then you need to work backwards if you're not up ready there. So I think that's a tremendous responsibility. Yes, Swami did say that. Swami did say that. Um, so that puts us in such, um, such, I, I would say, I don't want to use the word elite, but then more in terms of elite, in terms of responsibility, elite in terms of actual labor that you need to do uh, to measure up to his expectations constantly. There is no uh, slip up that would be allowed. Uh, that, is, that is what it is. But then uh, how would you do that? Really, is that is there a way? I mean, that is that was some questions I used to ask because there was another occasion I'll just briefly mention where Swami materialized a crystal in Tri Brindavan, and then in the crystal were so many. It's it's a small uh, that Swami could hold in his hand, and then he passed it around to few devotees who were there. And some of these pictures are also on 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 google probably we could find swami holding a crystal in his hand in a tri session in vrindavan and uh, i wasn't there it was much much earlier than my time but then swami said when he passed this uh, crystal around that in this are written you can't see because it's so small all my students that would take senior positions in my organization and will lead swami's organization according to how Swami would want it. I have already written on this uh, much before. So Swami has already set in stone uh, what is expected of us, what responsibilities we must have uh, as, as a student community, as an individual. So that is all set in stone. Now, our responsibility is to really uh, walk his, his talk. Uh, that is the responsibility that we have as a, as, a, as a student. But I would just expand it a little more. Swami was talking to students on a day-to-day -day basis. So most of his speeches, most of his discourses, if you see, he would address the students. But I would think, Swami has also said this, that a student of mine is not someone who has studied in Prashantanara. We all were uh, very uh, happily relaxed sitting, saying, okay, we're all Sai student. You could be forever. Nobody can take that off from me, even if I become a bad devotee from tomorrow because I am a Sai student. But Swami said, no, you have, that, it's not a permanent title. You are a Sai student when you follow my teachings. The student of Sai, not the student of the building. 
I probably am just a student of a building until I measure up to become the student of Sai. And that is each one of us. So which is again, again, going back to Swami's, uh, the song Swami sings, love is my form, truth is my birth. And that if you continue, Swami says, my life is my message, which was very clear when he said, my life is my message. It's like Swami saying his life is his message. All right, whoever wants it, take it. Whoever doesn't want it, there is nothing in that line that says every devotee must follow. But then later Swami said, my life must be your way of living. Your life must be my message. Okay, now you and me are in the game. Until now, my life is my message is up to him. But now he says, your life must be led according to my message. So now we all have a task on hand. We all have been told, okay, this is what you have to do. And then do we really become deserving of that statement Swami said, where, where we walk, it becomes divine. Where we speak, it becomes divine. But until then, you are on the journey to, to reach him. Oh, very beautifully explained. I, I like the description of student. I think it's very universal. And uh, it's important for us to bear in mind that we all have a responsibility if we claim to be believers in him, to lead lives in such a way that we reflect his message. So, brother, share a little bit about your student years in Prashanti Milliam. And you could probably share with us from which period of time you studied at Prashanti. And also, if you could share one or two life lessons that you learned under the watchful eyes of Mother Sai, the watchful caring of her. Sure. <clears throat> I think I studied, uh, to start with um, the timeline, I studied uh, from 1997 uh, to 2007. I joined as an 11th class student. I studied my 10 years of school in my native town in Andhra Pradesh, and I joined in my 11th uh, in, in Prashantanalim, and then I went on to study my undergrad and then post-graduation and my MBA in Prashantanalim. Again, all it couldn't have happened without Swami's uh, grace uh, in abundance. Because someone like me to go through so many degrees uh, with, with the kind of discipline I have towards education, you really need so much more blessings to, to study so much. Uh, but uh, that I've had the good fortune of. Um, and uh, there was, I think uh, it's interesting that 1998, when we, when we were in the 11th grade, was also the first time after a very long time, Swami uh, materialized the lingam during Shivaratri. If you see uh, the old videos, Swami used to materialize lingam through his mouth. As Swami says, Shivaratri is the time when the Shiva is in, in full force. And then that golden Amrita linga automatically comes from the right-hand side of the heart. Swami said left-hand side is a human heart right-hand side is a divine heart. That's when it, the gold of it comes out in the form of uh, the lingam. It could happen to all of us, but Swami said it could happen to any of us, but then he's realized he's divine and we, we are still in the journey. But, but the reason I was sharing this is in 1998, the first year of our 11th class, which is also called the 98th batch that we are so called, uh, Swami took out the lingam for the first time ever after a 
because of 2021 years, which he used to do earlier, those were only available in black and white. If you see the recent photos of Swami materializing lingam through his mouth, uh, only the color photos started in 1998. That is our batch. So we were called the lingam batch for a very long time. And so the golden period I was telling you uh, in my life definitely was my studies, my education, but also I think it's a golden era in Swami's uh, avatar as well. And not because I studied in any way, but during that period, Swami had really launched so many projects in that his avatar would really stand as a symbolic uh, to blessings to the whole humanity. The, the Puttaparthi super speciality happened before, uh, but then the Brindavan super speciality hospital uh, happened during uh, my tenure that I had the good fortune to see it from close. The water projects, uh, many of them were launched during that time. The Gram Seva was launched during that time. So a lot of uh, important uh, landmarks in Sai Avatar, I had the good fortune to see uh, up close uh, as a student. And if you ask me life lessons that I took from me, uh, with so many experiences that I have had, I have seen uh, my fellow students have, devotees have, Swami from up close, there are three lessons I take with me uh, everywhere I go. This, these are something like I, I, I tell my kids now uh, and I try to follow myself. One is I was telling you earlier in the, as part of my uh, experience, that do not tell Swami your problems. Instead, go tell your problems that there is Swami. He's already given us so much. We have to stop going to him on a day-to-day -day basis with our problems. He has come to a beautiful example. Again, I keep going everywhere, but I'll come back to the, your question. Uh, there was a student that had conjectivitis that could not see Swami, that could not uh, be allowed to come to Mandir because he had the conjectivitis but he badly wanted to see Swami. And then uh, he was uh, completely uh, quarantined uh, for, because of uh, that's it's a little bit contagious uh, until a couple of hours before uh, the darshan session. And suddenly he looks into the mirror and he finds that there are absolutely, there's no problem in his eye. It's absolutely clear. He goes, shows it to the teacher. They're surprised. And he comes to Darshan because he was now allowed because he didn't seem to have any problem in his eye. And when he came to Mandir, he saw Swami hold a handkerchief to his eye. And when he went close and had a look at Swami, Swami's eyes were blood red. So Swami had taken the problem from the boy just so the boy would be able to come and see him. So the point I was trying to make is Swami can do that. Let's not be surprised if Swami cures our fever. If Swami gives us a job that we've been asking for, if Swami gives us money, if Swami gives us the, the spouse we want, let's not stop there. Let's not put an end to Swami saying, okay, Swami can do this, this, and this. No, Swami has not come to do all this. He's giving us all this because that's all we are asking him for. He's actually come to give us something more superior. Every time you go to an interview or you have a chance to talk to Swami, the first question Swami needs to ask is, do you have any spiritual questions? That is to be first question Swami asks. Most of the times I have heard, and the answer is usually blank. Nobody has any spiritual questions. Okay, in Kemi, what else do you have? Uh, then it opens up. Swami, uh, my, my mom is not well. Swami, I am not well. My puppy is not well. Then you have all 
of these problems that you need to take with your doctor or with your parents, you want to now show it to Swami. The point is, again, Swami has not come to solve these. He's only solving these because that's all we are taking. So do not tell Swami your problems. Instead, tell your problems you have Swami and face it. That's my first life lesson. Second one is test is the taste of God, Swami said. Everywhere in our lives, there are tests, including the time that we are all in right now with the so-called, I would just put it as confusion sometimes uh, that we have in terms of where we are in the organization, where should we belong? What are these different organizations that are speaking to me and asking me to join this or join that? They're called by different names. So it's just a test of Bhagavan. So remember, he's, Swami said this clearly, test is the taste of God. If there is a problem, it's because I have wanted to check with you how good you measure up to me. Just like the day he's asked me to speak, the day he's asked us to do different things that we think we are not capable of and then end up doing something very well because of the courage we have gathered. We call ourselves lucky. We call ourselves, oh, somebody pushed me and I could do it. Somebody else helped me and I could do it. No, Swami is the one helping us. Swami is the one guiding us. Swami is the one making it happen according to his master plans. Test is taste of God. The third lesson I would take with me everywhere and I would just leave with that is that we must make Swami our own. Meaning take Swami in along with you in everything that you do. Are you going to bed? Invite Swami to sleep along with you. Are you going to work? Invite Swami to go with you to work. Are you going to speak? Invite Swami to speak through you. Take Swami along with you. Swami is that additional member in your family or Swami is your best friend. And if Swami is with you, what problem could we really have? We all would have that courage if Swami is physically in flesh and blood next to me, which he is in different forms. There are so many experiences that we have heard where Swami was in Prashantilam and it was all happening around the world. It's exactly the same even now. Swami is there in spirit with all of us now. So we must all have that courage and the belief that we must take Swami with us everywhere in our mind. And then Swami has no choice. Swami said, wherever my name is sung, I install myself there. So you call him. He has, he, Swami said, I have no other job. I'm sitting here waiting for anyone to call me because I want to go. So just take Swami along with you. You call and he's there. Thank you. Beautiful, powerful life lessons for all of us, brother, through your divine sharing. So you spoke about your experiences as a student, your journey in Prashanti Niliam, those wonderful formative years of your life. So in another direction, what is it that drew you to join the Sri Satyasai Global Council? And it's interesting to hear from an alumni perspective. How did that take place? And why do you see that as beneficial, both from an individual level and from an organizational perspective? Thank you. So I think the, it looks like there are options right now in front of us. But actually, if you really dig deep, think through the options that we have, there are no options. It looks like there are, again, back to test is the taste of God. 
So far, there were people up top, somebody sitting and called the regional council, called the zonal chair, making decisions for all of us. And now Swami says, now it's time for all of you to play the game. Test is, is the taste of his God, right? So again, so now everyone is invited to play the game. Okay, you make a choice. It's not going to be made for you. So you're called on to kick the ball yourself. You're not a spectator anymore enjoying the game. You are playing the game now. So I think we all have seen, Swami. I think that opportunity no other person can boast of except us, where we have associated ourselves. You need not have to see him physically. I know that many of us might not have done. But even if you have not seen him physically, to be associated with an avatar, to be born on planet Earth at the same time an avatar walked on Earth. How many of us can really, in the lives of that we have spent, we have seen generations after generation can really boast of that? That where they have lived at the same time on the same planet along with an avatar. That is the opportunity Bhagwan gave us. And that we all have witnessed, we all have seen, we have all have experienced in some form or fashion. And all of that has happened from the epicenter of Sri Sai organizations worldwide, Prashantanulaya. Puttaparthi stands tall in all of the world only because of Sri Sai. The sthanabalam, they say, like the power of the place is so critical. If you look at any religion, there is a holy place that we all worship, not because of the stone there, not because of the building around the place, not because of the temple that has been built, because of the auspiciousness that has been attached with it, because of the avatar that has blessed it in different forms. Maybe they lived there, maybe they walked there, maybe they installed a statue there, whatever be it. And for us, that is Prashantara. So like I said initially, it looked like there are options, but there are actually no options because the Global Council has its epicenter clearly marked in Prashantanalaya, without a question. Everything arises from that place. Everything is centered from that place. I think that in itself is an answer, even before you pose yourself another question, that our alignment must be to Prashantanalaya. It can be called anything. Let it be called ABC tomorrow. When its epicenter is in Prashantanalaya, when its inspiration is in Prashantanalaya, when its Headquarters is in Prashantaranyam. That is where we align ourselves. That is what we have all done all this while. We might have been called differently, but then we went back here. If somebody is telling you cannot go back here, or that's not where your centric city belongs, then it's a question for you to think. That's, I think, on an individual level that we can really uh, think about ourselves. This, these are my thoughts. We can all have our own reasoning as to why and what. As an organization, Swami has always been for unity. Like we're, we're now, you could question that we are talking about unity, but then we do not have unity in this whole process because that is exactly what is, seems to be the problem in this whole episode. But again, uh, there are three organizations that Swami has established. The idea has been floated that all of them come together and two of them have come together and asked the third organizations to come and join, which for reasons best known to them did not happen. So again, looking at it from two aspects, one is the centricity in Prashantanalim 
and an organization that is really calling for unity and inviting the third organization to join while they have their own reasons why they cannot or why they do not want to, again, leaves us with very little choice, little, little, very little thinking as to why someone should really align themselves with global council. I think we owe it to Bhagawan to come together, to follow his words, follow his uh, discourses, follow his message, follow his uh, teachings, to be the ideal devotees that we should be. And that, I believe, is possible through this vehicle called Global Council right now where we are. Thank you, Brother. So, Brother, going back to the statement that Swami made many years ago, that the dust of my students' feet will transform the world, if I'm looking at it from a, a specific angle, meaning the, the students that have come through Prashanti Nilayam and the role that they have to play, is it true to say then that a large percentage of the alumni across the world are aligned with Global Council? And how significant is that alignment? To my knowledge, to the best of my knowledge, I think majority of the alumni have aligned themselves to Global Council from what I know, from what I'm receiving messages from the different groups that I'm part of, the messages that are being spread. Everybody sees understanding, everybody sees logic, everybody sees the storyline very clearly as to why and what they must do. That being said, I also put it, want to put this on record that there could be students, not to my knowledge, but there could be students out there who have their own understanding of Bhagawan, their own understanding of how and what and their own reasoning as to why not Global Council, why not the other organization and which is perfectly uh, reasonable in, in their own understanding. But if, to your question specifically, uh, to, my, to the best of my knowledge, the majority of alumni have understood and have seen the reason and reasoning behind why Global Council was formed and uh, aligned themselves to Global Council. So brother, when we look around in the society today, there is so much apparent chaos, confusion at the different levels in the society, at the personal level, the family level, the society, the nation, and the world at large. You know, there's a breakdown in respect and communication between children and parents. There's fighting and inner squabbles. Nations are at war with each other. There's an apparent disunity that is prevalent throughout the world. Bhagwan says that he has come to awaken the inherent divinity in each and every one of us. And as that unfolds, harmony and unity and love will prevail. From your perspective, what are some guidelines or recommendations 
from your perspective that you can give to the general public out there about the role that each and every one of us can play in creating a better society and a more value-based society. Quite a thoughtful uh, question, I would say. And it's, I think uh, every one of us uh, must introspect as to what is the best role we can really play in the society, in the environment that we are living in. Uh, that's up to us. Somebody can, uh, somebody can do something small. Somebody has the capability and resources to do something really big with a lot of scope. And that we have seen in Swami's life. There were devotees that just came to Swami and said, Swami, I have a lot of money. Help me build something. And Swami did give them opportunities to build uh, institutions, build organizations. At the same time, there were people that came to Swami with a lot of money and Swami said, I don't need your money. So my understanding of both of these incidents, the requirement is not money. The requirement is a pure heart. The requirement is the intention that they wanted to give and do whatever they wanted to do to Swami. I think it boils down to that as well. Like it, Swami says, man sees the result, God sees the effort. So I think if we keep that in mind, because many young students especially could have this like, okay, nobody is watching me. What is the point in doing the right thing? Is it really necessary when no one is there? I think that's when it becomes even more critical because God judges you then. When nobody is watching you is when God is watching you. So I think the question we must all ask ourselves is, are we giving our best? Like they say, I mean, I teach at work continuous improvement, lean methodologies. So continuous improvement is simply have you been better today than yesterday? Not comparable to another person or another organization or another individual. Just to yourself, which is the easiest scale you can follow. You told 20 uh, lies yesterday. Can you do 19 tomorrow? You did 10 adharmic things yesterday. Can you do nine day after tomorrow? So if you have measured yourself against yourself to improve, to improve, to improve. God is seeing your effort. I think the first takeaway I would request all of you to consider on this question is, remember, Bhagwan is watching. And if we can do our best every day, he will give the strength to do better and better and better. If you do not make an effort to your question also, brother, I mean, there is so much bad happening. It could be bother any one of us. Bhagwan has walked on earth. Why is still so much bad happening? Should it not automatically transform the whole thing because he just walked here? If you look at avatar after avatar, not everyone when Bhagwan was there had the opportunity, not just Bhagwan's side. Every avatar that you look at in the past, not everyone had the opportunity to uh, come in Bhagwan's fold or to come in contact with the Lord or come uh, have darshan of the Lord or get a message from the God. No, it did not happen. Bhagwan avatar comes for a certain 
uh, he has a scope that he decides before he comes. That is all of us. What more do we need to live in harmony? What more do you need to live in unity when the biggest responsibility has been given? The best job that you can think of, God gave us the job. And the job is to walk his message. And even what to do also has been given. So there is no need to look around, no need to ask, no need to look for guidance from somewhere. Guidance has been given. God has been chosen. Path has been told. And all you have to do is just walk the path, doing what is told to do, which is what we complain when we go to children. I told you to do so. You still didn't do it. Swami is saying the same thing to all of us from there. I told you, I told you, I told you, I told you. Let us give him as many less opportunities as possible to point a finger and say, I told you. No, Swami, you told me, so I did it. That is what we should be able to tell him back. I think if these few things you keep in mind, probably my humble opinion uh, will make a better place for all of us to live. So, brother, the understanding I've gotten from what you've just shared is that Swami has given us everything. He has given us the teaching. He has set the example himself. He has provided guidance in every aspect of our lives through so much of his divine discourses. So we have no excuse to say we didn't know. So we have to walk the talk, be the change, embody his teachings. And as you so rightly said, be a good example of his teachings. And I remember attending the 1986 EHV conference in Prashanti Niliam. And Swami said during the course of his message, he said the best way to teach EHV is to live it. So too much talk and too little practice. We have to become heroes at practicing and not so much at talking. So thank you so much, brother, for that wonderful guidance and that sharing of advice that we all need to incorporate in our daily lives. So as we come to the end of this wonderful and divine interview, the Sri Satyasai Global Council West Indies expresses gratitude and appreciation to you for taking the time to share your personal journey and perspective on the teachings of Bhagwan Sri Satyasai Baba. Your experiences and your sharing was truly inspiring, motivational, and thought-provoking. May Bhagwan continue to bless and guide you, and may you continue to be a loving instrument as his divine mission unfolds. But before we end, can you recite one or two more slokas to bring this talk to a fitting end? Shriyuta Murti Vatsalata Chindari Brindara Sundara Satya Murti Apyayata Rupu Dalchana Krupavara Sagara Chakravarti Sushreya Mugurchi Bodhalu Vachinchu Sukokila Gana Murti Shri Satya Saisha Ni Charana Sarasamul Bhajain Chadan Prabhu just share uh, one, uh, this particular poem is very dear to me. I've chanted in front of Swami uh, nearly 10 times uh, it, during my uh, course of my education that I've got. And it's, it's really, at one point, Swami used to start laughing because as soon as I go, this is the first poem I would say. And that Swami enjoying it made it even more pleasing for me, even more dear to me. 
I really uh, keep that. It's again another poem my grandfather had written and uh, I was able to offer it to Swami so many times. And thank you so much, brother, uh, for the opportunity uh, for uh, giving me this forum to express my, uh, my thoughts, my, my experiences. I hope um, that, will, uh, that will serve uh, well with all the devotees of West Indies. And I really look forward to coming down there and uh, interacting with all of you and seeing all of you in your centers at some point in the future. Thank you so much.